Hello there. This is your birthday present. Happy birthday. I hope you like it. I've been planning it for many months. And how that works, how, how, how it's happened, oh sugar, how it's happened that I'm only starting the book now, having, um, uh, having had your birthday plan, present planned for months before, even though you're not going to be weird and look at the dates that these things are published. Um, how that works is because I maybe was reading another book earlier and that book just got too boring. It was the um what do you call it? The the mandibles, the economy one that made me want to cry. It was so boring. The one highlight of it, I'm gonna tell you this at the beginning of here, um, was that one of the characters had a child cool called Goog, which made me laugh. Um, because it's a dumb name for dumb people. Um it's almost as bad as something like Boingy Boingy. Um, and yeah, okay, so here we go, here is the beginning of the book. The Power by Naomi Alderman Dear Naomi, I finished the bloody book. I'm sending it to you with all its fragments and drawings in the hope that you'll give me some guidance or at least that I'll finally hear the echo of it as I drop the pebble of this book down the well. You'll ask me first of all you'll ask me first of all what it is not another dry volume of history was what i was promised four books in i realized that no general reader can be bothered to wade through endless mounds of evidence no one cares about the technicalities of dating no one cares about the technicalities of dating finds and strata strata comparison i've seen audiences eyes go blank as i try to explain my research so what I've done here is a sort of hybrid piece, something that I hope will appeal to more to ordinary people. Not quite history, not quite a novel, a sort of novelization of what archaeologists agree is the most plausible narrative. I've included some illustrations of archaeological finds that I hope are suggestive, but readers can, and I'm sure many will, skip over them. I have questions for you. Is it very shocking? Too hard to accept that anything of this sort could ever have been the case, no matter how far back in our history? Is there anything I can do to make it all seem plausible? Do you know what they say about truth and the appearance of truth being opposites? I've put in some terrifically troubling stuff about Mother Eve, but we all know how these things work. Surely no one will be too distressed. Everyone claims to be atheist anyway. Everyone claims to be atheist now. Anyway, and all the miracles... Oh, Everyone claims to be atheist now anyway, and all the miracles really are too explicable. Anyway, sorry, I'll shut up now. Don't want to influence you. Just read it and tell me what you think. I hope your own book's going well. Can't wait to read it when it's ready to be seen. Thank you so much for this. I'm so grateful you could spare the time. Much love, Neil. Dearest Neil, wow, what a treat been flicking through the pages and can't wait to dive in. See you've included some scenes with male soldiers, male police officers and boy crime gangs. Just as you said you would, you saucy boy. Don't have to tell you how much I enjoy that sort of thing. I'm sure you remember. I'm practically on the edge of my seat. I'm very intrigued to see what you've done with the premise. It'll be a welcome relief from my own book. It'll be a welcome relief from my own book if I'm honest. 
Salim says, if the new one's not a masterpiece, he's leaving me for some woman who can write. I don't think he has any idea how these offhand remarks make me feel. Anyway, looking forward to this. Think I'd rather enjoy this world run by men you talk about. Surely a kinder, more caring and, dare I say it, more sexy world than the one we live in. More soon, my dear. Naomi. Also, just a, this is a quick Louis introduction. In, not introduction. A Louis um, input. These happen quite a bit as I'm reading, as I just get ideas. I was talking to Eleanor and she said I should just read the book straight. But I think that lacks personality, to be honest. And, um, yes. Uh, I'm not very good at reading out loud. This is something I should have thought of before deciding in my head that this was going to be your birthday present. But um, I don't really care. I'm going to, what I'm going to do is, I know you probably wouldn't mind. And even if you did mind, you wouldn't say anything. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy another copy of this book, write a quick little inscription in it, um, saying, oh, how much I love you. And then I'm going to give you back this copy, which is just your copy with no other writings. And then um, uh, I will give you, just so you have something physical to receive on your birthday, because it's a bit weird if I just hand you a QR code or something to, to the Spotify page. Anyway, I'm going to start reading the actual thing now. Um, the other good, sorry, just one more. The other good thing about my other book is that it had good breaks. And I don't know if this does. Oh, no, it does. Anyway, sorry. That, okay, cool. This has good breaks. Normally, I read for about 40 minutes at a time. This is also so much shorter than my other one. Oh, by like 100 pages. Yes. Anyway, sorry. I will now I will now get going. The Power, a historical novel by Neil Adam Armand. The shape of power is always the same. It is the shape of a tree, root to tip. Central trunk branching and rebranching, spreading wider and ever thinner, searching fingers. The shape of power is the outline of a living thing, straightening outward, sending its fine tendrils a little further and a little further yet. This is the shape of rivers leading to the ocean, the trickles to the rivulets, the rivulets to the streams, the streams to torrents, the great power gathering and gushing, becoming mightier to hurl itself into the great marine might. It is the shape that lightning forms when it strikes from heaven to earth. The forked, tear, the forked tear in the sky becomes a pattern on the flesh or on the earth. These same distinctive patterns bloom in a block of acrylic when struck with electricity. We send electric currents down, orderly runs of circuits and switches, but the shape that electricity wants to take is of a living thing. A fern, a bare branch, the strike point in the centre, the power seeking outward. The same shape grows within us, our inward trees of nerves and blood vessels, the central trunk, the pathways dividing and redividing, the signals carried from our fingers' ends to the spine to the brain. We are electrical. The power travels within us as, as it does in nature. My children, my children, nothing has happened here that has not been in accordance with natural law. Power travels in the same manner between people. It must be so. People form villages, villages become towns. Towns bow the knee to cities and cities to states. Orders travel from the centre to the tips. Results travel from the tips to the centre. 
the communication is constant. Oceans cannot survive without trickles, nor vast tree trunks without budlets, nor the enthroned brain without nerve endings. As above, so below. As on the outskirts, so at the very heart. It follows that there are two ways for the nature and use of humans and use of human power to change. One is that an order might issue from the palace, a command unto people, it is thus. But the other, the more certain, the more inevitable, it is that those thousand, thousand points of light should each send a new message. When the people change, the palace cannot hold. As it is written, she cuppeth the lightning in her hand, she commandeth this to strike. From the Book of Eve, chapters 13 to 17. Ten years to go. Roxy. The men rock, rock the men lock Roxy in the cupboard when they the men lock Roxy in the cupboard when they do it. What they don't know is that she's been locked in the cupboard before. When she's naughty, her mum puts her there, just for a few minutes, till she calms down. Slowly, over the hours in there, she's worked the lock loose with a fingernail or a paper clip in the screws. She could have taken that lock off any time she wanted. But she didn't because then her mum would have put a bolt on the outside. It's enough for her to know, sitting in the dark, that if she really wanted to get out, she could. The knowledge is as good as freedom. So that's why they think they've locked her in, safe and sound. But she still gets out, that's how she sees it. The men come at 9.30 in the evening. Roxy was supposed to have gone to her cousin's that night. It had been arranged for weeks but she had given her mum some lip about not getting the right tights from Primark, so her mum said, You're not going to stay. You're not, you're not going. You're staying in. Like Roxy cared about going to her poxy cousins anyway. When the blokes kick in the door and see her there, sulking on the sofa next to her mum, one of them goes, Fuck, the girl's here. There are two men, one smaller with a face like a rat, the other shorter, square jaws. She doesn't know them. The short one grabs her mum by the throat. The tall one chases Roxy through the kitchen. She's almost at the back door when he grabs her thigh. She falls forward and he's got her by the waist. She's kicking and shouting, Fuck off, let me go! When she puts her hand over her mouth and bites him so hard she tastes blood. He swears, but he just doesn't drop her. He carries her through the living room. The short one's pushed her mum against the fireplace. Roxy, fe start Roxy feels it start to build in her then though she doesn't know what it is. It's just a feeling at her finger, finger ends, a prickle in her thumbs. She starts screaming. Her mum's going, Don't you hurt my Roxy, don't you fucking hurt her. You don't know what you're into. This is going to come down on you like fire. You're going to wish you were never born. Her dad's Bernie Monk, for Christ's sake. The short one laughs. We're here with a message for her dad as it goes. The tall one bundles Roxy into the cupboard under the attic. Under the stairs, so fast she doesn't know what's happening until the dark is around her. Oh, sorry. Until the dark is around her and the dusty sw sweet smell of the hoover. Her mum starts screaming. Roxy's breathing fast. She's frightened, but she's got to get her mum. She turns one of the screws on the lock with her fingernails. There's one, two, three twists and it's out. A spark jumps between the metal of the screw and her hand. Static electricity. She's feeling weird, focused, like she can see with her eyes closed. Bottom screw. One, two, three twists. Her mum's saying, please, please, please don't. 
what is this? She's just a kid. She's just a child, for God's sake. One of the men laughs low. Didn't look like much of a kid to me. Her mum shrieks. It sounds like metal in a bad engine. Roxy tries to work out where the men are in the room. One's with her mum. The other, she hears a sound to her left. Her plan is she'll come out low, get the tall one in the back of her knee, get the tall one in the back of the knees, stomp his head. Then it's two against one. They've got guns. They haven't shown them. Roxy's been in fights before. People say things about her, and her mum, and her dad. One, two, three. Her mum screams again, and Roxy pulls a lock off the door and bashes it open as hard as she can. She's lucky. She's caught the tall man from behind with the door. He stumbles. He topples. He grabs. His, she grabs his right foot as it comes up, and he goes down hard on the carpet. There's a crack, and he's bleeding from the nose. The short man has a knife pressed against her mum's neck. The blade winks at her, silver and smiling. Her mum's eyes go wide. Run, Roxy, she says, not more than a whisper. Oh, rip. <laughs> Run, Roxy, she says, not more than a whisper. Ro but Roxy hears it like it was in her head. Run, run. But Roxy doesn't run from fights. If you do that, they'll never stop saying, your mum's a slapper and your dad's a crook. Rocks out, watch out, Roxy, or you'll nick your book. You've got to stomp them till they beg. You don't run. Something's happening. The blood is pounding in her ears. A prickling feeling is spreading along her back, over her shoulders, along her collarbone. It's saying, you can do it. It's saying, you're strong. She jumps over the prone man, groaning and pawing at his face. She's going to grab her mum's hand and get out of here. They just need to be on the street. This can't happen out there. In the middle of the day, they'll find her dad. He'll sort it out. <laughs> It's only a few steps. They can do it. Short man kicks Roxy's mum hard in the stomach. She doubles over in pain and falls to her knees. She swishes the knife at Roxy. Tall man groans, Tony, remember, not the girl. Short man kicks the other in the face. One, two, three times. Don't say my fucking name. Tall man goes quiet. His face bubbles with blood. Roxy knows she's in trouble now. Her mum's shouting, run, run. Roxy feels the thing like pins and needles along her arms, like needle pricks of light from her spine to her collarbone, from her throat to her elbows to her wrists to the pads of her fingers. She's glittering inside. She's reaches, he reaches for her with one hand, the knife in the other. She gets ready to kick him or punch him, but some instinct tells her a new thing. She grabs his wrist. He twists something quite deep inside her chest, as if she'd always known how to do it. He tries to wriggle out of her grip, but it's too late. She cuppeth the lightning in her hand. She commandeth it to strike. There's a crackling flash and a sound like a paper snapper. She can smell something like a bit like a rainstorm and a bit like burning hair. The taste welling under her tongue is of bitter oranges. The short man is on the floor now. He's making a crooning, wordless cry. His hand is clenching and unclenching, and there's a long red scar running up from his hands, running up his arm from his wrist. She can see it, even under the blonde hairs. It's scarlet. Oh, blonde hairs. It's scarlet, patterned like a fern, leaves and tendrils. Bullets and branches. Her mum's mouth is open. She's staring. Her tears are falling. Roxy tugs at her mum's arm, but she's shocked and slow, and her mouth is still saying, Run! Run! Roxy doesn't know what she's got done, but she knows when you're fighting someone stronger than you and they're down, you get out. But her mum doesn't move quickly enough before Roxy can get her up 
before Roxy can get her up. The short man... Oh, but before Roxy can get her up, the short man saying, Oh, no, you don't. He's wary, pulling himself to his feet, limping between them and the door. His one hand hangs dead by his side, but the other is holding that knife. Roxy remembers what it felt like to do the thing. Whatever it was she did, she pulls her mum behind her. What you got there, girlie? says the man. Tony, she'll remember his name to tell her dad. You got a battery? Get out of the way, says Roxy. Do you want a taste? Another one? Tony steps back a couple of paces, eyes her arms, looks to see if she's got anything behind her back. You dropped it, didn't you, little girl? She remembers the way it felt, the twist, the explosion outward. She takes a step towards Tony, but he stands his ground. She takes another step. He looks to his dead hand. The fingers are still twitching. He shakes his head. You ain't got nothing. He motions toward her with the knife. She reaches out, touches the back of his good hand, does that same twist. Nothing happens. He starts to laugh, holds the knife in his teeth, grabs her two wrists in one his one hand. She tries it again. Nothing. He forces her to his to her knees. Please, says her mum, quiet, softly. Please don't. Then something hits her on the back of the head and she's gone. When she wakes, the world is sideways. There's the hearth, just like it always was. Wooden trim around the fireplace. It's pushing into her eye, and her hand and her head hurts, and her mouth is mushed up into the, the carpet. There's the taste of blood on her teeth. Something is dripping. She closes her eyes and opens them again. She knows it's been longer than a few minutes. The street outside is quiet and the house is cold and lopsided. She feels out her body. Her legs are up on a chair. Her face is hanging down, pressed into the carpet and the fireplace. He, she tries to lever herself up, but it's too much effort. So she wriggles and lets her legs drop to the floor. It hurts when she falls, but at least she's all on one level. Memory comes back to her in quick flashes. The pain, then the source of the pain. Then that thing she did. Then her mum. She pushes herself up slowly, noticing that as she does, that her hands are sticky and something is dripping. The carpet is sodden, sick with a red stain in a wide circle around the fireplace. There's her mum, her head lolling over the arm of the sofa. And there's a paper resting on her chest with a belt-tip drawing of a pin rose. Rosie is, Ro- Roxy is 14. She's one of the youngest and one of the first. So what I did, so this is our back to a, a Louis injection. I feel I read that too dramatically. It's a big departure from my last book that was so deathly dull. I think um, for each of these little like character things, I think I'm going to view those as chapters. So read each one of those individually. And in the description, I'll say in the title, The Power Part 1. And then in the description, I'll say the page numbers that I've read. So yeah, Um, I'm going to keep reading, but I'm going to stop this recording and start another. So we'll uh, see you in in a sec, gorgeous.